proud of you. Oh man, what a great story that we get to hear from Alicia today. Oftentimes, uh, it's true that in trials and in tribulations that most of us is where we uh, run to God and where he meets us in that place. And I just love to hear her story in a way that speaks to uh, that very thing and the way that God intervenes in our lives uh, in, in the moments that we need him most. And so I'm grateful for her testimony of faith today. I'm uh, grateful that we get to celebrate with her as we watched her uh, get baptized. And if you're here today or watching online and you would love uh, to get baptized here at Crossroads Church, we would, we, would be, we would be privileged to be able to be a part of that with you. We have somebody on staff, his name is Doug Schmidt, who helps uh, walk everybody through baptism, from why baptism is important, to why you want to do it, to uh, getting you up on the stage and being able to share your testimony. And so if that's you today, I would just simply uh, encourage you to text the word NEXT uh, to the number that was mentioned earlier, 720-513-1933, and we will help you along that journey today, all right? Well, with that said, we are in week two of a series that we are doing all about finances called uh, Make Money Work. And if you were here last week, uh, hopefully you were here last week, and if you did, uh, last week really we set the foundation of where we're going in this series. And if you missed that, I would just encourage you to go to our YouTube channel to check that out, to get caught up, because really not only was that first week foundational, but as we move through this series, each week is intended to build on itself. And so if you weren't here last week, really we are talking about finance finances beginning in 2022. And the reason that we're talking about finances is really for twofold. The first one is this, is that when it comes to money, our money affects so much of our lives. It affects everything in our lives. Like there is not a moment in our lives where we don't wake up, right? Thinking about uh, earning, spending, worrying about our money. That that's just kind of the reality of, of the life that we live in. And unfortunately for most of us, when it comes to our money and when it comes to our finances, that many of us weren't actually like taught well what it looked like to be uh, financially well, just to say it that way. Like we didn't, we didn't learn in school, maybe our parents didn't teach us, very rarely was it talked about in church. And so unfortunately, most of us, when it comes to money and finances, we actually learn like the hard way. And because we learn the hard way, it brings about a lot of frustration. There's moments where we feel overwhelmed. There's moments where we feel like, like hopeless and helpless. And if that's you, our hope and prayer throughout this series is that this series would help you. But the second reason that we're talking about this is because there's an assumption that we're making in this series that if you're here today, if you're listening online, if you're up at Fort Lupton, that part of the assumption is that you have an interest in what God has to say when it comes to your life, including your finances. And the truth of the matter is, is that you can't be in sync relationally with God and be out of sync with what he says when it comes to your finances. Like you just can't be. Like any part of our life, just like every part of our life, that when it comes to, our, when it comes to living life our own way, playing by our, unrule, our own rules, intrinsically what that means is that ultimately we're out of sync with God. And when it comes to our faith, and particularly when it comes to our finances and walking together, we can't say as, as followers of Jesus that my money life is over here and my Jesus life is over here and that's okay. It doesn't work that way. In fact, as we open up the scriptures, we find that God has a ton to say about our finances, a ton to say about our finances. And as we move through this, what that means is, is that we need to bring our personal finances in sync with the teachings of scripture, and more specifically, the teachings of our Savior. And so in light of those two reasons, we thought that we would start 2022 off talking about finances, our money, our stuff, and get right in that order in terms of uh, this year. And so just 
just as a quick kind of roadmap of where we're going over these next five weeks. Last week, we talked about the decisions that we make, and we landed with every financial decision that you make tells something about your heart. That's just the reality of that. Today, we're going to talk about finding contentment. Next week, debt. Week four, we're going to talk about giving it away. And then the final week, we're going to talk about some budgeting magic. And so that's where we're going to go over the course of the next couple of weeks together. So as we get into this today, the theme of where we're heading today is really in finding contentment, finding contentment, uh, particularly when it comes to our finances. And the reality is, is that for many of us, we don't actually live content when it comes to our money and our stuff, do we? In fact, most of us, I would guess, probably subscribe to the famous quote by John D. Rockefeller. If you don't know the story, one day a reporter came up to John D. Rockefeller, who happened to be like not only one of the richest people like in America, but one of the richest people who ever lived in the world. And they asked the question, how much money does it take to make a man happy? And John D. Rockefeller said what? Anybody know? Yeah, just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. And we can kind of all chuckle about it because it's true, isn't it? It's true that all of us kind of live in that space. No matter if you have a lot of money like John D. Rockefeller, which by the way, he didn't give uh, just one time, but twice he gave our US government a personal loan. Like that is ridiculous amount of money, right? But he said, look, the way to happiness, the way to satisfaction, the way to contentment is just one dollar more. And what drives that kind of thought is really the discontentment of our lives. And the discontentment of our lives is simply, you know, defined would be like this, that you are discontent, you are discontent with what you have or what you might not have. It's the dissatisfaction that you have with what you have or what you don't have. And it's the opposite of being content which is a deep sense of well-being when it comes to what I have or what I don't have. That much of our thought that that was characterized in that statement by John D. Rockefeller is driven by this dissatisfaction, this discontent with what I have or with what I don't have. And so today, as we're talking about our discontentment, what I want to connect with you with is a word that you can't talk really about the discontentment, particularly when it comes to finances, without talking about awareness. That when it comes to your awareness, your awareness is the rocket fuel that drives your discontentment. And if you can understand the relationship between your awareness and your discontentment, then you will understand what's going on in the inside of you, in the inside of me, inside of what's going on in culture for a long, long time. Let me give you an example of this. I, like most people, love listening to music. I listen to music when I'm writing sermons, when I'm in the car, when I'm riding my bike, when I'm working out. Like, I listen to music a lot. In our house, we have Echo Dots uh, around our house, and oftentimes they're playing music. In fact, anytime we start, like, cleaning as a family, like National Cleaning Day, that's what I call it. It happens once a week. And uh, National Cleaning Day, my nine-year-old daughter will ask our Echo Dot to play Alexander Hamilton. And so we clean, jamming out to a Broadway musical at my house. And so music's, like, a big part of my life. And um, up until until a few years ago, until three years ago, for the most part, the way that I listened to music was on my phone, and I would plug in these ear jacks, right, into the phone, and I would listen to my music, and I was perfectly content doing that. Well, three years ago, the gym that I go to, they were doing a raffle. Now, just so you know, I have this uncanny ability to win raffles. Like, it's like, it's like a, a, a spiritual gift of mine. In fact, it's to the point now that if I don't win a raffle, there is actually disappointment in my life. It's like a total superpower. And so, 
They were doing this raffle at the gym, and the deal was is if you brought someone uh, to the gym, a friend with you, then you would get your name uh, into the raffle. And so, Pastor Brad, he needed to get in shape, and so I invited him to the gym, and uh, he came with me, and uh, lo and behold, uh, I got a raffle ticket, and I won. And I won a brand new pair of AirPods uh, Airs from Apple. And all of a sudden, my life was changed because I no longer needed to be wired in to my phone. Like, like I didn't need a wired, you know, ear experience anymore. Like, I had wireless earbuds. And it, like, changed everything for you. It, like, changed my entire life. Well, fast forward to this year. I have a buddy of mine who got some of the AirPod Pros. And he's like, you got to try these out. And so I put these things in. And not only are they, like, wireless, but they're wireless noise-canceling earphones. Like, you have these things in, you can't hear anything else in the world. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I need these. And so I started thinking, like, how do I get a pair of these? Because again, my whole world's beginning to change. I've experienced this. I'm now aware of this. And so I was at an event in September and I was attending this event and lo and behold, I won an Amazon gift card. Like I said, superpower. And so I saved this, this thing for the last couple of months, added some Christmas money to it and got and upgraded, I should say, to these AirPod Pros. Now, three years ago, I didn't know what I was missing. Awareness fueled my discontent, right? I was completely happy plugging in some ear pods or some headphones into my phone and just listening in that way. I was completely happy until I became aware of the fact that there was this other thing that could possibly be better. And that dynamic is true of everything, isn't it? Shoes, clothes, the house you live in, right? The computer you got, the gaming system, your phone, if you're a Bronco fan, a quarterback, right? Like our awareness, our awareness generates discontent into us that all of us have something that we know there's a newer, better, shinier, cooler one out there somewhere. And when we know about it, it just consumes us. It's what fuels our discontents. And you were perfectly fine, you would say. You were perfectly fine until you knew there was another one out there. And this whole mindset is so prevalent in our culture. It's so prevalent in our culture, and it's what gets us in trouble financially. Because the truth about our discontent is as the desire for stuff, a bigger, better, shinier, faster, cooler, newer, is always something that's right before us that we can't ever quite reach, can we? And culture says that, that if you can just get that, if you can just get $1 more, then you'll be content, then you'll be satisfied, then you'll be happy. And yet the reality is, is that as soon as we get that one thing more, as soon as we get the AirPods, we find out that there's AirPod Pros and that we're never really satisfied in our lives. And we've all lived it, haven't we? And so the question when it comes to this is this, like, like is our whole life, is the purpose of our whole life to make as much money as we can to buy the newer, bigger, better, cooler, shinier stuff so that I have a chance at maybe, at just maybe being happy, satisfied, content. And I would say for most of us, we think about that and it's quite exhausting, isn't it? Like we go, I, I hope not. I hope that's not just simply the purpose of our lives. Now, thankfully for us, 
The Bible, like I said, has quite a bit to say when it comes to our finances and our money, and specifically about our contentment in this life financially. And so if you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. And 1 Timothy chapter 6 speaks to um, a lot of where we're going in this, in this time together. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, 1 Timothy is written to a guy named Timothy. And he's written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. That the Apostle Paul would go around the world and he would start churches. He was like a church planter missionary. And he would start these churches. And as he's planted churches, he would put someone in charge, a pastor. And then he would mentor them. He would take off and he would continue to continue a long distance uh, relationship with them through writing of letters. And so Timothy is this pastor in this city called Ephesus. He's being mentored by this guy named Paul. And first Timothy, part of the theme of it is to people who are rich, to people who have a lot of money, to people who want a lot of money. And in that, Paul writes these words to Timothy specifically about our contentment and how we find contentment when it comes to our finances. And so here's what he says, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. To which we go, really? Like, like Really? I mean, just pause and think about the truth of this statement for a moment. I mean, how many of us, when we think of great gain, we attach the two words godliness and contentment to it? Like, I would imagine for most of us, like, great gain is trading in my, my AirPods for AirPod Pros. Great gain is trading in my 2012 vehicle for a brand new model. Trading in my old house, selling my old house, and getting a bigger house. Great gain is having more money. That's what great gain is. But we have to understand that as Paul's writing this to Timothy, he's doing so with warning here because apparently what's going on in Ephesus during this time where this church is at, where, where Timothy's being a pastor, is that there's some of these slick dudes have showed up and they have realized that they can have great gain financially by taking advantage of the growing interest in Christianity in the city. And Paul comes along and he says, look, these guys, they are treating looking godly as a means of great gain. In other words, they are so addicted to the love of money that truth actually has no place in their life. That they don't value truth. They love money. They love wealth and the thought of being wealthy. And they are willing, they are willing to use any popular interest, including the way that people worship God to make a few bucks. That nothing is sacred to them. Looking godly was just an act to experience great gain financially for them. And Paul looks at Timothy and he goes, Timothy, don't fall into that. Great gain is godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment which means that I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. I'm surrendering my life to God for who I'm to become. I'm looking to God to do what he wants me to do. That's godliness. And when you combine that with contentment, that I'm fine with what I have, you may have something newer, you may have something shinier, but I'm fine with what I have. When you combine godliness with contentment, Paul says that's great gain. That's great gain, which makes total sense with the lines that he puts after, right? He says, look, you didn't come into, into this world with anything to begin with. And all the accumulation of stuff in your life, like we all go out, 
No matter how rich we are, we all go out the same way. We end up in a box or an urn. Like, like we all go out the same way. If great gain is all about enriching myself, if great gain is only about the stuff that I accumulate in this life, that when we die, Paul says, it means that you have gained nothing. And what is amazing to me about this is that Paul, the way that he addresses this issue with Timothy, because Paul doesn't look at Timothy and go, look, Timothy, Christians don't act that way. Christians don't live for gain. Christians aren't motivated by profit. He doesn't say any of that. That's not what Paul did. In verse six, he says, there is great gain in godliness when it's attached to contentment. And instead of saying to Christians, don't live for gain, Timothy looks at believers and he says, I want you to live for a greater gain. I want you to live for a greater gain than these slick dudes who are just acting godly in order to make some money. See, if great gain is just about stuff, then when we die and leave it all here, we have gained nothing. Because we didn't send anything ahead. We didn't do anything of of any real value other than just acquire stuff in this world. And Paul takes a step back. He says, here's what I've learned in my life. That if I'm submitting my life to Jesus, if Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life, and I'm doing the best that I very can to live out God's will in my life, and I have a little food in my stomach and some clothes on my back, then I'm content. That I'm doing better than most people who have more in my life. I'm doing better. I'm doing better than most who have more. And as we hear that, there's something in us, isn't there, as Americans, that just want to fight that. We just want to fight that. And yet we all know that it's true. This, this lesson for me was learned uh, when I went to Haiti. In 2011, I had the opportunity to live a mis- uh, lead a missions team here from Crossroads down to Haiti after the earthquakes that devastated uh, the Haitian country there. And so we landed and the days were rough. I mean, it was 116 degrees most every day. We would sleep in tents at night and most of our days were shoveling concrete into trucks from houses that had had fallen in. Like that was the 12 days of work for us. And so every day was pretty brutal and we would get home and uh, at night and they would have dinner made for us and we'd eat dinner and then all the kids, the Haitian kids would come around and they would wanna play with us. And oftentimes the game that we played was with this like empty Coke bottle uh, that we would sit and spin and throw and everything else and we would just laugh and play and have such a good time uh, every single night before we went to bed with these kids. And so after 12 days, we end up uh, coming home. And so we flew from Haiti into Miami. And there was a guy named Tyler on the trip with me. And we landed in Miami. We went and we found some pizza for uh, lunch. And so we have this, like, Tyler's sitting here. There's, like, this pile of pizza on the table here. I'm sitting right here. And we're just waiting for our flight, eating our pizza. And we're just kind of watching people uh, in the area. And just in the distance to us, just a little bit away, probably 50 feet away or whatnot, was a six, seven-year-old kid. And he was playing with his gaming device and he was so dissatisfied, discontent with his gaming device. And he got so discontent and dissatisfied that he actually started yelling at his mom and making this huge scene. And then in his anger, he took that gaming machine and he threw it down onto the ground and just shattered it into a million pieces. And in that moment, coming from where we had come from, like Tyler and I, we weren't eating our pizza anymore, like tears were filling our eyes. And Tyler looked at me and he goes, we have so much and we are satisfied with so little. And as he said that, verse 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 6 flooded into my mind. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. 
And in that moment, like as that lesson was falling upon me, I just prayed, God, would that be true of my life? Would you teach me what it looks like to be content with that? Let's go on. Verse 9 says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and into destruction. Like these verses are so challenging, or at least should be so challenging for us, because those who desire to be rich, that's all of us. Like all of us desire at some level to be rich. He says, be aware of that. Be aware of that. Like nothing's wrong with with wanting to be rich. But when richness becomes the driving motivator of your life, when the driving motivator begins to become acquire more stuff in your life, Paul says, look, there's a temptation here. There's a snare. There's a trap waiting for you. And most of us, we've experienced that, haven't we? That we've made decisions in our life trying to chase to be rich, trying to try to make a buck here or make a decision to make more money over here. And it leaped up, snared us, and we got caught in the trap. And Paul says, because so many people in their pursuit of more will make foolish and harmful decisions that they plunge themselves, they plunge themselves because of this desire into ruin and destruction. And Paul looks at us and goes, don't be like that. Like, don't don't let the drive for more lead you to ruin. Don't let the the pursuit of becoming rich lead into destruction in in your life. He says, don't let money, don't let money be the driver of your life. And as he does so, he quotes to us maybe the most, the famous verse that most of us know. In verse 10, it goes like this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. In other words, when the pursuit of of more becomes the driving force of your life, you are inviting evil into your life. Now, we have to understand this verse because this verse has been misquoted for years in church world. What Paul is saying, he's not saying that the love of that money is bad. He's not saying live broke. He doesn't say here, give it all away. He says when the pursuit, when your desire, when your love, when the driving force of your life becomes more then you are inviting evil into your life. Evil is not far behind, verse 11. But as for you, this is one of the big buts in scripture. Paul says, but for you, this can be different. That you don't actually have to live this way. You don't have to allow the discontentment of your life to overwhelm you. You can live differently. And if you're a man or a woman here of God, Paul says, flee these things. Like, run away from these things. This pursuit of money, this pursuit of more. Like, run from these things in your life to which we go, Paul, we get it. I'll be careful. And Paul says, this isn't about being careful. He's like, if you see a pile of vipers, you don't go running into them going, I'm going to be careful. You run away from them. Paul says, do not invite the destruction and ruin into your life. Flee these things. And then he sets up this contrast for us. He says, flee these things. Flee the things of of the pursuit of money, the love of money, and instead pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness in your life. And so here's what Paul's saying. He's saying instead of pursuing these things that ultimately lead you to destruction in your life, 
He says, I want you to turn around. I want you to set a new course, a new direction, and I want you to walk in a way where you're actually pursuing the things in life that matter, like your godliness, your righteousness, your faith, your love. Pursue those things instead. And Paul looks at you and he looks at me and he says, what if you took some of that time that time that you could just add up in a week where you're scrolling through Amazon, looking at the, the wish lists and everything else that you desire. What if you took some of that time and redeemed it? What if instead of driving through neighborhoods, looking at homes that are not yours, what if you, what if you redeemed that time? What if you looked at your time and said, you know what? Instead of being dissatisfied with, with how I live, where I live, the place in which I live, what if I became more discontent with my lack of righteousness, with the lack of godliness or, or even faith in my life? Like, like, what if that was actually the outflow of my discontentment? What if my discontentment was actually holy in its pursuit? Like, the world would look incredibly different. That the way that Jesus, our Savior, the way that he said it when he walked on the earth was like this. In Luke 12, 15, we're going to look at these verses again next week, but they're too good. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Look, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life is not measured in the amount of stuff that you have. Your life is not consistent of your pursuit of more. That your life does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. Oh, how great would it be if we actually learned that lesson in this world? So if you were here last week, you heard how in this sermon series, we wanted to be practical, uniquely practical for you. And so the takeaway last week in light of, of the decisions that we make and realizing that every financial decision that we make tells us something about our heart, our assignment last week was to simply watch your money, to babysit your money. Because where your money is going is giving you a sign of where your heart is at. And as believers particularly, we want to make sure that our heart is right. And so this week, in light of being practical, I have just two questions that I want you to ask. I just want you to take an inventory of your life. And the first question I'm going to have you ask is this, is where is my discontent? Like step back and do an inventory of your life. And when you feel the moments of discontent in your life, just name them. Where is that? Is it in the house that you're living in? Is it the car that you're driving? Is it the job that you have? Is it this pursuit of something that you don't have? Where is your discontent? Where's my discontent? And then once you've inventoried that out, number two, this is what I want you to ask is this, is what would my life look like? Like what would my life actually look like if I pursued the things that mattered, the things that Paul lists? And for some of you, maybe the application of that is to actually step back from some of the things that we actually engage in. Maybe it's, maybe it's instead of driving your car this week to take the bus and to realize how much gratitude we should have for even being able to own a car. Whatever it is, what would my life look like if I actually pursued the things that mattered in this life, if my discontent was a holy discontent rather than one that was just simply financially motivated? See, when you walk out of here today, the reality is that culture is not going to stop. The culture is going to bombard you and culture is going to bombard me in this area that all of marketing is set up to make me aware of the discontent that I have in my life. And understanding your discontentment and where it comes from will impact every element of your financial world. Paul says your discontentment is dangerous. 
It'll lead to ruin and evil in your life. And you can avoid that trap. You can avoid that ruin in your life. But you have to do so by making the choice, by, by shifting your focus to what God is up to in the world and what God wants to do in your life. Because Paul is exactly like, right. Godliness tied to contentment is truly, financial, or truly great gain. And so at some point in your life, if you haven't already experienced this, that you're going to accomplish a goal that you've been striving for for years. You may secure uh, the possession that, that you've been running after, the job that you've always wanted, something out there that you had to have. And in that moment, in that moment, you're going to take a step back and you're going to say to yourself, is that really all that there is? Like, is that really all there is in this world? I thought there would be something more. And you'll be back right where John D. Rockefeller was. What makes a man happy? Just one more. Just one more. And like all of us, the late church father, Augustine, experienced this in his life. And his conclusion was this, that there is a God-shaped vacuum in every one of us that only Christ can fill. That nagging sense of dis discontent that you've been fighting your entire life is not going to go away unless you fill that vacuumed hole in your life with Jesus. And the place that you begin that journey is to be absolutely sure that you've given your life to Jesus as the Lord and Savior. And when we do, the promise of Scripture is that, that the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to fill our lives. And as long as we are being filled with the spirits, then the discontentment of the things in this world begin to sink, and our discontentment for things that matter begin to rise. Like, that's the promise of Scripture. Be filled with the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit. See, he's the one who brings with him a sense of well-being and contentment. The idea and the longing that we have for in our lives. And so all of that begins with the relationship with Jesus. And so if you'd like to have that conversation about what it looks like to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, I just invite you to text the word Jesus to this number, 720-513-1933. Would you pray with me? Father, we come into your presence, and uh, Lord, we are uniquely aware of the way that this world works. Lord, the way that even our economy works. Lord, always showing, suggesting, pushing something bigger, better, new, shinier, cooler. And Father, as believers in this room, God, I pray that we would resist that in our lives and that we would realize that our contentment is not in our stuff, but our contentment is in you. And so I pray that every single one of us here, Lord, that we would pursue godliness partnered with contentment, that that would be our drive. And for those here, Lord, who, who maybe do not yet know you, who have struggled with discontentment and dissatisfaction and the driving need for more, Lord, that that hole in their soul would be filled by you and that you would whisper to them now. And Lord, that their response would be that they are a sinner in need of your grace. And that today, 
They're calling out to you to be Lord and Savior of their life. And when they pray that simple, easy prayer, we know that the Spirit fills them and that their life is new and that you begin this hard, hard work in them. And so, Father, I'm, faithful, I'm thankful, Lord, that you are faithful to complete the good work that you've started in every single one of us. God, it's good to be walking with you. As we remember what your son did on the cross, God, I pray that we would see you clearly. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. As we come together for communion as a church, and remember the cross of Jesus, we remember that Jesus' body was, was broken on the cross so that godliness could actually be ours. Right, that we are full of sin and disobedience and ugliness in our lives and that every single one of us is in need of a savior. And so God, loving us the way that he does, sent his son in and said, go save him. So Jesus went to the cross, his body broken, and in his brokenness, we find forgiveness of our sins. And so we remember today as we participate. And as Jesus hung on the cross, the scriptures tell us that his blood is the promise, the security of eternal life for us. And so we drink it with hope. We're gonna take a time to sing together to our good and great King. So I'm gonna invite you to stand. If you need prayer in-house, we have it available over here under the banner online. You can click the button, but let's sing to our good Lord and Savior Jesus today.